Welcome back to the Half Palmy, everyone. My name is Josh Liston, and I'm here with comedian Oliver Hunter. How are you going, Ollie? Good, Josh. And also, you should call yourself a comedian. I think comedian Josh Liston is more than acceptable. So, fellow, com- we're two comedians that are doing okay. a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd give the audience. We're such a a unicorn. Yeah, we're such a unicorn. Two comedians doing a podcast. Yeah, but anyway. uh, Absolutely unheard of. So, (laughs) (laughs) so today we're talking about something which I guess is pretty timely, pretty topical. We're talking about Christmas. Yes. But before we get to some Christmas chat, I just wanted to ask Ollie have you been anywhere this week on the comedy circuit, being comedians, that you would like to tell us about? Yes, I've um, I'm back back doing a couple of couple of gigs. I have I have done a couple of spots. The the baby that we've talked about in the first few episodes has arrived, as you know, Josh. But for the people out there listening, the baby has arrived. Little boy, so little Ziggy is is here, and I had some time off uh, while he um, arrived. But I was at was with you in Wagga um, at our, our friends Dane and Eleanor's gig. Riverina Comedy Club, one of my favourite spots, and had a good time. Uh, I don't know about you, Josh. You were in the audience, and you were the the, the Uber driver for the night. I appreciate that, as always. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like I got paid in company, though. Definitely didn't get right. paid in cash. No, no. So didn't get, I, didn't I got, get paid I in any currency that actually though. matters. But yeah, but no, had a good time. There's always a good spot there. Headline uh, headliner was Cameron James. Lovely dude and very funny. And then, yeah, I was at uh, the following Monday. It uh, was at a spot I have done many times, Local Laughs in St Kilda, run by Janet McLeod, who's, a, again, the queen of... I'd like to, I think I call her the queen of Melbourne comedy, and many would agree. Um, she runs an, She's run the same gig at the same venue on a Monday night at the local tap house in St Kilda for over 20 years, which is... Wow. The longest running room by the same person in, like, I would think Australian comedy history. So there you go. That's a unbelievable. Yeah, to to run a weekly show by yourself, like the same person for twenty years, is crazy. I I I've ran a monthly show, and it you know it's on a hiatus after two months. So <laughs> like, yeah, I I get it. I've been running an open mic for nearly. A year and a half-ish, a bit longer than that. Yeah, I've actively been trying to get out of running it for at least the last three months and make, get someone else to do it. And yeah. thankfully, I have found someone that's going to take that over. We'll probably announce that in the future. But yeah. every week, other than maybe I'm assuming when she's overseas for different things like Edinburgh, yeah. and then I'm assuming the show still runs or maybe it doesn't. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So she's, in, yeah. So she'd still have some hand in making that happen every week for over two decades. Yeah, like, it's... Not even yeah. neighbours and home and away have that level of strike rate, Ollie. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. They, they take they take three or four months off a year. Yeah, yeah. And I was at uh, this was a little while ago, but I was at her twentieth anniversary show, and and it had like a, the heavy hitters on that lineup were like you know Tom Bauer, Geraldine Hickey, Celia Bacuola, Sammy J. Like it was a huge lineup of, and mm. it was so cool to see that um, all these acts. Half of, I think nearly half of them, even 75% of them were like, oh, this was my first ever spot. So they're now like household names, like these heavy hitters. And Janet gave them their first ever spot in comedy. Like 
for some of them. Someone got, I, don't, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Sammy J. Or they were on the first ever show, so 20 years ago. So to, to have all that come full circle and for these people still to be doing it and doing it well, I would say, especially like a Geraldine Hickey or a Tom Ballard at the peak of their powers comedically at the moment. Like, it's just so cool to see that a, 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 an individual can have such an effect on on a art form in a city. Like, it's <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> well, we were talking about Dane and his partner, Eleanor, that organised the Riverina Comedy Club in Wagga. Obvi- obviously, a much smaller market, but I don't think, and not two decades, we're talking half of a decade. But I would say that that's another example of two people that have influenced a comedy community and unlike a Melbourne, created it from literally absolutely nothing. Yes. And built it yeah. into this special thing because there's a lot of us, and maybe not yourself, Ollie, because you'd been going for quite a while in comedy, but for me, I will always remember that's the first time I truly felt like I crushed at a gig was yeah. the first time I had the chance to do their club in Wagga. And whether I – I mean, the, the room is so generous and so warm, I probably half crushed. Yeah. <laughs> but it will always feel extra special to me because that was the first time I can ever remember thinking, oh, I can actually do this. Yeah. yeah. At, the, at the moment for five minutes only, but I can go pretty well for five minutes and this room is special and I got yes. to be part of that. Yeah. So, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here before, but I credit Dane and Eleanor to like, to for me not, not quitting stand-up at, off the back of COVID. Like, okay, well. Well, you haven't mentioned that, so I know we're going on a tangent here, but let's talk about that because I think there'll be people out there, particularly if they're listening because they know who you are, that might be shocked to hear that. Well, I think off the back of COVID, you know, as we all know now, it's 2020, everything got shut down and and the Comedy Festival was the first big thing to go in March 2020. And then obviously off the back of that and the COVID lockdowns, I didn't perform for the eight months, well, six months, March to October. And I, was, like, I wasn't I was a professional, like I'm a semi-professional comedian, I guess, still. So at that time I was, you know, you look at some of the bigger acts and the professionals like your Will Andersons or whoever, they obviously were also stopped, but they knew that they would get back into it eventually and that was their job. So they would make it work. It would happen again. But when you're... um an amateur or semi-professional comedian living in Albury at the time, you start to wonder if you'll ever do this again or they'll, whether you'll have the drive to do it again or there'll be, there'll be the physical opportunity to do it again. So I remember October 2020, Dane and Eleanor got to put on these theatre shows in Wagga, like at the, the Civic Theatre in Wagga, and got the headliners down again and it was a line-up show. And, and yeah, and I remember doing this theatre of all, like, 300 people in a theatre and, again, like, crushing, and you're like, oh, I can still do this, and then that was that. Was that. And, Wowzers. It, and if I can do it, if I can do five minutes after eight months or six months off, then I knew that, okay, um, we're back on here, whatever that meant <laughs> at the time, but I knew we're, I was yeah. back on. And I did hear, hear a line, um, a clip, that just, I think, last night, Mike Babiglia is a US comedian, podcaster. Mm. He was on a on his podcast with a guest and they said, uh, the guest asked asked him, they, they said, oh, do you ever want to quit 
you've been doing it 25 years and you're a pro. Do you ever want to quit stand-up? And Mike said, quite interestingly, I want to quit all the time. Like I have this this feeling of like I don't want to like what am I doing what why are we do why am I doing this and and he hasn't because he's like he's a head headliner and multiple specials and podcasts very successful but I did find that interesting that even a pro of that level goes oh yeah I, I think about quitting all the time so I think that part only what part what drive I think what drives us as comedians that there's that bit of doubt or that bit of that question of like oh what are we what is this? But I think for me that that also does drive me in some elements as well. I can't remember who said it. One of the big American comedians said it's literally the only art form where your history and your back catalogue counts for nothing if you're having an off night. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what... I mean, obviously, there's some level of forgiveness if it's your audience and they've come just to see you, but you can't rely on anything that that person has seen before like a band can a famous song like if you're having yeah. a bit of a rough set and you're metallica you can just play enter sandman master of puppets and nothing else matters in a row and it wouldn't matter how bad the set had gone like they could have you know blown up half the stage with pyro and lost all their guitar amps if you played those songs somehow the whole audience yeah. is back on board <laughs> you yeah. don't really yeah. have that as a comedian at any level and that person was talking about it in terms of when you go back to day dot and start building a new act, like a new, like for that person, probably a new hour. So the yeah. failure is like going right back to day one. You're better at knowing what's good and what's not, but there's no guarantees and you've got to rebuild everything over and over and over and over again. Yes. Just, just to keep a career going. And like, if you're a well-known actor at the top of your game, you're introduced as the person from blah, blah, blah. Yeah. With these awards. And yeah, not like I don't, know whether that's how people introduce comedians oh you remember that great special he did 10 years ago no one yeah. introduces people that way <laughs> so no, no you have to keep keep putting out stuff and keep writing jokes whereas you know you i think in the acting world matt damon made matt damon and ben affleck put out goodwill hunting 24 27 years ago great movie what a, I, I i i love that movie but like that still gets brought up as like a, a linchpin and as like a marquee thing. And they've been writing the tales of that coat for two and a half decades. And as they should. Like it, Exactly. Know. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a classic movie, but I'm not sure yeah. that there's the same level of forgiveness from an audience. Like they might want to hear, oh, that that's the joke he said on the internet. I loved hearing the whole thing. Yeah. But if, if you went out and did the exact same thing someone had seen half a dozen times, I'm not sure whether they're going to be that interested. So Yeah. Yeah, there's probably only one guy. There's probably only one guy now left in the comedy world that can that gets away with that idea of not producing a new act every year, every two years, is probably Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, but the rest, even guys of the generation before him, and and especially younger, younger comedians now, like, you have to keep putting stuff out because people will watch it. They're absorbing it at an epic clip. I know yeah. I heard Brian Regan who Brian Regan, I guess, is like the the comedian's clean comedian. He's like yeah. the Seinfeld that comics like. But yeah. and he gets people actually like give him requests. Because he's got yes. hours and hours and hours of classic stand up. He could do a whole act of requests. But I've heard him say that that sounds good on paper, 
but it's not like playing a song where you're in a band and you're feeling the vibe and there's other people at the same time doing it with you. If you're the person that has to go out and say all the words over and over and over again forever, yeah, you get yeah. bored of it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's not a comedian can't can't throw to the crowd and go, oh, "You guys sing the chorus." Like, yeah, uh, it, you got- if, I'm pretty sure if you're like Seinfeld and you're telling a classic joke, he's probably the only person that could just hold the mic up to the audience and they finish the punchline. Yeah. Like a Taylor Swift move. Yeah. 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 There's not much uh, that there's not much in life that's more epic than throwing to the crowd and every one of those people screaming the words to a song. Just the, I'm, I can't imagine the feeling of that as the, as the band too, or the, the singer just going on. They, they know the words. Like I could tell you the feeling of people in the audience saying they've heard your song and then still not singing it. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you what that's like. <laughs> that's every band pretty much ever, unless you're famous. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, your album's really cool. I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm not going to sing one word. Yeah, but yeah, or, or really work, show but... any, or really show any interest. Yeah, yeah. Stop trying to sell me a t-shirt. I'm not interested. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> so a bit of fun. Something that is interesting is Christmas. Let's talk yes. Christmas. Hit me with your favourite top five Christmas foods, Ollie. So I'll go five to one. I think that's how we've done the other top fives. Yes. So I, I'm going to, um, so I've done Christmas lunch foods and I've included, I've also encapsulated all elements of the lunch, including desserts. So you have to, you have to. Going beyond, going beyond the plate of the main course. That's, that's, hmm. that's my, my point with that. So n- number five, I, I do love a bit of nice roast pumpkin, right? And when I say roast pumpkin, I mean it's got to have. I can go. I don't know about you, Josh, but I'm. I can go skin on and off. I think I do prefer when it's skin off, but I can get on board when the skin's left on. So I'm happy to go either way. But I think for me, it's got to have a, like a bit of charcoal, a bit of crunch. Is when it's if it's too soft and it's sort of you you're working. Sometimes when it's, when roast pumpkin isn't isn't done well. It's it sort of it goes between roast but also just like steamed, and on the it does, the steamed pumpkin doesn't belong on the the plate of a Christmas lunch. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> no. die on that hill. I'm willing. <laughs> it's a hill worth dying on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so number five is a bit of bit of roast pumpkin for sure. Uh, number four it has come up in a in a top five in the past, I believe, but I'm gonna bring it up again because again a hill I'm willing to die on. Just generally, gravy. I, I, I love gravy. Uh, it's the thing you can just pour on everything on the Christmas lunch plate. So number four is gravy. Um, and I, I just love it as a as a sauce, a condiment. It has come up, I think, in our sauces and condiment top five in an yep. earlier episode. But I, um, I just love it and what it brings to the table. So, yeah. And I did yeah, no, no comments there, Josh. I was quite... Sorry, I I was actually just dreaming of gravy. I, I had my eyes closed. <laughs> I, I apologize. Uh, bit of, all right, number three, uh, roasted potatoes, and this you can throw some gravy on there, and, and you you're in for a real good time. So I think two of the best roasted potatoes are when similar to the pumpkin. There is a bit of a crunch there, absolutely. So I think that's a no-brainer. Roasted potatoes, number two. Uh, it's cauliflower and cheese sauce. 
So I, I, I've always loved that. I even love that outside Christmas time. So whenever I hear there's a whisper of a roast happening, I always try and angle for cauliflower and cheese sauce. Um, yeah, it, it does something to my brain and body. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, num- that's number two, uh, cauliflower and cheese sauce. Before we hit number one, I uh, thought I'd give an honourable mention to lamb and mint sauce. I didn't throw a meat uh, in my top five, but I think yeah, my favourite roast meat is a, a lamb and mint sauce. That really gets my taste buds up and about. So, um, yeah. And I'll go, I, I do love a dishonourable mention in these top five, so I will give a dishonourable yeah. mention. Brussels sprouts. Whenever I see them pop up at a Christmas uh, lunch plate, I start to wonder what else is happening that we need to know about. Uh, <laughs> so I also think Brussels sprouts on any plate ever. I don't know what, what do you think, Josh, but they they have a dirt flavour to them that cannot be shaked. I actually use them as a filter, and I agree about the dirt flavour. It's one of the main reasons I don't buy anyone in my family a present. Because if I saw some one of any of those people then go and eat a Brussels sprout, I would feel bad about having given them the present. Okay. So for me, it is so I could basically filter who I'd like least in my family on that particular day. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I don't and like Brussels like Brussels like where does how does the word Brussels get involved in in this in the vet like sprout like because Brussels is that a place in that's a city in Belgium yeah. I think so, but I'm not sure if it's really indicative of Brussels itself. No. Because uh, uh, because the sprout is cultureless and overly <laughs> dense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas I'd imagine Brussels in Belgium, you've got some nice chocolate, it's like open air, probably mountains are involved. Nothing yeah. nothing relates to the sprout less than, than Brussels <laughs> in Belgium. Exactly. <laughs> it's a really misguided sprout. I, I feel I feel like um, I feel like the a more sort of con, uh, more relatable term for uh, name for the sprout is potentially like a like a Lavington sprout. I, I feel like <laughs> to, to throw up yeah. an old Ruadonga reference there, Josh. I feel like a Lavington sprout. So number one is uh, I mentioned desserts would be involved, and my number one uh, is pavlova. That is my favourite dessert of all time. And it is, oh. it is obviously synonymous with Christmas. Uh, just love it. My mum makes the best pavlova I've ever eaten in my life. And it's just the meringue. Just Then you throw on the, the cream and the berries. And and then I, it just, it's my, it's my uh, highlight. It's my request for Christmas every year. I love pavlova so much that I substitute it in for a cake on my birthday. Uh, oh. So if I'm ever with, especially with, if I'm with my parents... For my birthday, I always requested pavlova instead of cake. Uh, and on my birthday's in January, so it's always like people are still in a bit of Christmas holiday mode. So it's not it's not hard for, for mum to knock up another another pav at the time. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have that mid mid winter pavlova avoidance thing going on. It's summer. Yeah. It it's a good time to be in the kitchen with a fan on or something and just knocking out a pav. Yeah. I mean Around that Christmas New Year time and my birthday, if a good year I can have, there's four pavs that get made. There's, <laughs> there, there's, there's the Christmas pav, 
mum has made it a bit of a thing to make a New Year's Day pav, and then there's a birthday pav, and then occasionally my brother, who's his birthday is a week later on the thirteenth of Jan, he can um he can we can just have a pav just because. So uh, so yeah yeah. With all this variance of pav, is there also like some kind of fruit variance? Does she mix the fruit choices up depending on what habit happens to be, or is there a consistent fruit choice? Well, I I think I think uh, there there are some variations. So you can have your your blueberries and raspberries and and, and the cream. But then if you want to get a bit get a bit freaky, you can throw a bit of bit of kiwi fruit on there, um, some passion fruit. Nothing nothing elevates fruit more than a pav though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like av- average. Fucking gutter trash fruits that no one's eating at the rest of the year. You throw them on top of some pretty much puffed up sugar. <laughs> yeah. And you just get it get it in my face. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have kiwi fruit any other time of the year. Uh but and nor should you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go from there, but to give you yeah. my number five. So I will give you an honorable mention because I like to do mine before the five. This is a really specific situation, and it's not something I like, but it's anyone in any form of a trifle that gets delivered to my dad on (laughs) Christmas Day because no one likes anything more in the history of food than he likes a Christmas trifle. Okay. Nothing we eat that day and how much we (laughs) like it is on the same scale as him when he takes the first bite of that trifle. So that's that's an honourable mention basically to him that that's the... Pretty much the only thing in life I've ever seen him truly enjoy. (laughs) My number five, and the reason I bring up the old man is, and this is contentious, I've said this on the internet before and had people challenge me on this. My dad in the last 10 years, and mind you, he's 81 years old, he has mastered the Christmas roast potato to a level that I didn't think was conceivable. I grew up with reasonable cooks in the family. Everyone was reasonably good, particularly at that traditional kind of roast sort of meal. And out of nowhere, he just started experimenting with how to cut the potatoes, how long to cook them for, temperature, amount of oil. And I would more than pretty much be happy if that was all that I got to eat. They've reached yeah. that level. You can forget about everything else. Just give me a stack of the old man's roast potatoes, 2022-23 style. Every year, he takes it up a notch. So that's my number five. The only time I've ever got more contention from people on the internet is when I claim that I have the ultimate Vegemite toast and I'll put my Vegemite toast up against anyone's and I pretty much would have money on myself that mine's better. That upset people <laughs> on the internet also. <laughs> it's amazing the things that people will challenge you on. <laughs> yes. say, number four, and this can go both ways, the Christmas ham. It can be either my favorite part of the meal or my least favorite part. And I think it has to do with what I would call the gravy elevation. If the gravy is unbelievably good quality, it can lift a ham and together they can fly. But if the gravy is <laughs> yeah. just average and the ham's a bit average, it's the one part on my plate that I take because my dad forces it on there and I don't want it. Yeah. But I think if it's optimized, it's number yeah. four. Number three, I'm going to go to the dessert. This is where we go back to our ice cream choice. This is where the Buller vanilla comes out. Once again, as the pinnacle part of this meal, that and a decent Christmas pudding. 
Yes. And then okay. a little bit of a little bit of actual homemade custard. So those three things together. Any of those things other than the ice cream, like the custard could be shit. You can always get a bad pudding, but the ice cream kind of once again is an elevation factor. I'm, yeah. I'm looking much I'm, I'm relying on a lot of off plate <laughs> things to lift what's on the plate here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm going to say just that. Go, sorry. No, I was. I just to bring it back to you. Um, I do. I do love the the image of you about getting some uh, non-consented Christmas ham. I just was like, I've got to eat that to keep the pace with uh, yeah, with your <laughs> so old man. Everyone's saying a Christmas prayer, and well, maybe not in my family, but if they were, I would be praying for high quality gravy before anything yeah. else. Yeah. Now this is going to probably be a, a little out there for people but I'm a big fan of the roasted carrot which is something yeah. I rarely ever eat or pretty much never eat other than Christmas time and I want it to be cooked in the same pan as the turkey or chicken depending on which meat we're having. If that's cooked in any other apparatus and it's not actually straight in there with the meat, I'm yeah. out <laughs> but it's it's right up there with the potatoes as the two things I'll have on my fork before anything else yeah, and again, you're 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 relying on the carrots to be cooked in the juices of the chicken, turkey. Um, yep. So you're again relying another thing that you're relying on outside influence to to elevate uh, said carrot, which I find find fascinating. Yes. Yeah. And the number one food, and this is way out there. It actually doesn't occur at Christmas. My favorite moment with the whole Christmas meal is beating everyone the next morning to the leftover turkey and having a grilled turkey and cheese toasted sandwich for breakfast. Yeah. And that relies on everything, all the hard work from the day before to make that possible. <laughs> and I just get in there early. And don't even wait till lunch to have leftovers. I'm having that for breakfast, breakfast leftovers. <laughs> and if that turkey was primo the day before in that sandwich, fuck, I, I'm, it makes me want to go back to bed, but not to go to sleep. <laughs> That's how good it is. Yeah, yeah. So there's a delayed satisfaction factor in my Christmas lunch because I know that the next day I'm going to almost like the meal even more. Yes. It's a bit like cold pizza. It's a bit like cold pizza, but I'm having to fight off my family to get it. Y yes. <laughs> like there's so you a victory, <laughs> like a victory <laughs> thing in there that I beat yeah. you to this and I'm getting the best piece of turkey on my sandwich. Yeah. You, you go on a war with your family the next day and you have to do some good recon and uh, establish establish your it's position. A cold, it's a cold turkey war, though. They don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not it's not public. It's all subterfuge. <laughs> subterfuge. It's, it's all in your head. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so they're my top foods. So I know there was a, there was a few caveats in there, but I think overall... If each of those things are near the mark, it's definitely my favourite 24 hours of eating for the entire year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I think, um, yeah, I, I guess with all with my foods that I mentioned, I especially cauliflower and cheese sauce, I don't allow there to be leftovers. So you're just drilling it all on that day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pavlova's different. I, the, you can you can, um, can let the pavlova... Be the next okay, day. Let's, let's talk about the half-life of a pav because that is one thing that I probably... The variance between fresh, like the pav's ready and it hasn't 
half collapsed and eating it a day later. It feels like a variance to me in texture. But yeah. I'm no pav expert. No, no, it does, it does get... It's a different experience having the pav the next day because the meringue gets gets softer and it's chewier and it's... it's but they're both great. I think that's my point. And as a pav connoisseur and a pav lover for many a years, they <laughs> they are diff- very different experiences and you can prefer one over the other. I, I do prefer the crunchier meringue, but you, I absolutely do love and appreciate the next day pav where the meringue gets a bit softier, softer and spongier. But yes, yeah, so I think... And my mum also does it really well where she won't, won't put the cream on the whole thing sometimes. Because she'll know that you having cream on a pav that's you know the next day can be a bit funny, but yeah, she'll she'll dress the whole thing up when she know when we know the whole thing will be eaten, but when yeah. when we know that there'll be leftovers, that's a blank canvas of a pav, and then you can put cream on it the next day. So those are great top fives, and we would we'd love to know your top fives. Let us know before Christmas what you're most looking forward to, and. If you want, you can throw your family under the bus too and tell us what your what you think's overrated yeah. coming into Christmas. That's a whole other discussion itself. What's overrated or what's uh, unnecessary at Christmas time? You can let us know. I'm at Joshua C. Liston on Instagram and Ollie is at Oliver Hunter underscore 95. That's correct. Yes, hit us up. We don't have a dedicated Half Palmy pod page and I think we won't, uh, we won't bother with that. Um, Hit us, hit us up directly um, and we will take on board your feedback. We appreciate any feedback and any any comments or thoughts you have. So looking forward to that. So we'll see you next time. Right, Catch you. Bye-bye.